From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Well, good morning. How are you? You made a good decision this morning by coming to church and I believe that was led by, by God's spirit. I don't think it's by an accident that you're here today. I believe that God's going to speak to you this morning. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 5 is where we're going to hang out today. Paul says this to the church in Corinth. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive. That's fight. That's a fighting term, right? We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And I love how this version put it. We fit every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of a life shaped by Christ. That's fighting words. Like when I read that verse, I just feel like, oh yeah, we're, we're in this, we're, we're going. And here's the key thought for today. It says this, there is power in declaring war, but fighting with the right power wins the war. There's, there's power in declaring war. And if you've been with us, we've been talking about that a little bit last few weeks, but fighting with the right power wins the war. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you open our hearts and open our minds to your truth this morning? Would you speak to us, Lord? I know that often I can share and you can speak truth, God, to a circumstance or to what someone's going through or to someone's situation, Lord. And I just pray that you do so this morning, that you would leave us changed and transformed by your word, God. And I pray, God, that we would not be, as, as James says, just hearers of it, but we would be doers of it, God. Help us to, to fight the battle. Help us to fight with power, God, that comes not within ourselves, God, but, but, but a power that rests in you. And so in the name of Jesus, speak as only you can. Everybody said? A uh, declaration of war is a formal declaration issued um, by the government that a state of war exists between Canada and another nation for us as a, as a country. And, and when we were given finally the authority to declare war in 1931, Canada has only declared war once. And that was during the Second World War, and that was made on September 10th, 1939. And what that means, what a declaration of war from a government like this means, is that we're not just impacted by the ripple effect of the war around us, but we're in the fight, right? It means that we as a, as a nation are actively fighting against an enemy, a declaration of war. And again, if you've been with us for the past um, four weeks now, um, we've been declaring war on an enemy, We've been declaring war on an enemy, and we've been talking about how we live in a battle, a battle that rages uh, around us. And this is not a, a battle or a war that threatens us nationally, right? This is not a civil war. This is not a war against people, against flesh and blood, but it's so much more deeper than that. This is a war that exists for our souls. There's a war that exists that is raging around you and it's for your soul. And so we've talked over the last couple of weeks, there's three enemies in this war. The first is the devil or Satan or Lucifer. He's a fallen angel and he got kicked out of heaven and he took a third of the angels with him for his rebellion. He wanted to be God and so he got kicked out and now he's tirelessly fighting against you and against me for our souls. 
The second enemy is the world, and this is not planet Earth, right? We're not, we're not fighting against planet Earth. We're not fighting against the people on this Earth, but it's the value system, it's the worldview, it's the ideology that opposes biblical values and biblical ethics. The Bible says that we're not, we're not to be like the world, right? We're not to conform to the patterns of this world, right? But we're supposed to live to a different set of standards, right? We live to a different value system. But there's a pull, I don't know about you, there's a pull in us because we're influenced by the world, right? We live in this society, we're influenced by the world, so there's a pull, there's a battle that rages inside of us. And then the final enemy, and our biggest enemy, I'd like to say, over the last four weeks we've been talking about, one that we're declaring war on is ourselves. Because we are, more often than not, our own worst enemy. And there is a, a war that is raging inside of us, and the Bible has a term for this. It's, it's called the battle between our flesh and our spirit, or our, our sinful nature. And this is often the, the greatest enemy we, we fight. It's our bent towards evil. We have a bent, an inclination towards doing evil. And this is not evil as defined by my definition or the Webster's Dictionary definition. This is evil according to God's uh, definition. God said this. He said the inclination of the human heart is always towards evil, Genesis chapter 8. And so we battle. And if you think about what we battle on a daily basis... Or a people that battle around you, fear and insecurity, worry. Come on, where are my worry warts at, right? Worry, sin, selfishness, greed. I don't battle greed, I just want more things. Anxiety, self-deprecation and self-loathing, anger, resentment, bitterness, we, we battle, am I right? Are you with me? We battle. We battle on a daily basis. And can I just say, if we're not actively fighting in this battle, we're losing the battle. If you are not actively fighting against your sin nature, your bent towards evil, you are losing the battle, or worse, you've already lost. So we have to fight. We have to fight. Even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, even though it's easier to give in, right? It's so much easier just to let any thought that comes across your mind just go. Just go. It's way easier just to let any word that come out your mouth just come out your mouth. It's easy. It's easy to just let our actions be our actions. It's incredibly difficult to take control of all that. It's incredibly difficult, but we have to fight. We have to wage war. We have to say that I'm doing this because what is at stake is our soul. Heavy, Pastor Call, right off the gates, heavy. But this is what we're talking about. So we started uh, this series talking about Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt in the Battle of San Juan Hill in 1898 was crossing the battlefield and he crossed a barbed wire fence. And he says that as he crossed it, he committed himself to the war. Like he committed himself to the action before him. And he said that the power of a wolf rose in his heart, that he was determined from that moment on. And people said, witnesses said that he fought differently after that point. Because there's, there's power in declaring war. There's power in declaring war. But Teddy Roosevelt, he actually died when he was 60 in his sleep. And former Vice President Thomas Marshall said this. He says, death had to take Roosevelt sleeping, for if he had been awake, there would have been a fight. Is there fight in you? Is there fight in you? Like we can declare war on our thinking, 
right? Positive thinking is incredibly powerful and important. And we can change and take back our thought life, right? Right thinking, we talked about this three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Right thinking leads to right feelings and right feelings can alter our actions. We can declare war on what we say, right? We can work on the things that come out our mouth. We can work on speaking more life and less death about building people up as opposed to poisoning people's hearts, right? Or, or our own. And we can declare war on, on what we do. We can change our behavior, we can, we can work on that. But once we declare war, we have to fight. It's not enough just to be inspired in a nice little Sunday message and be like, yeah, I'm going to declare war on what I think and not, not fight. Like we, ha- we have to fight. We have to go out there and we have to do something about it because it's a real battle. And if you haven't been with us the last three weeks, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But it's okay. You can go back and listen because we have them on the podcast. And where were you, by the way? Right? <laughs> But it's, it's a battle that we need to wage war. And so as the scripture that we're looking at today in, in Corinthians, Paul to the Corinthian church says we need to wage war differently. I want to read it again for you. It says this, Paul to the church in Corinth, he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So we battle a different kind of fight. We fight a different kind of battle. We're in a different kind of war. And, and the weapons we use are different. We don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. And, you know, we can talk about a physical battle. We can even talk about a mental battle, right? We're not just into self-help books, you know, and changing behavior. We fight differently. On the contrary, they have divine power. Look at somebody and say, divine. No, 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 look at somebody again and say, divine. divine. To demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and, and not like just attack them. <laughs> not just like, I'm going to throw some, I'm going to, I'm going to. We demolish the stronghold, right? We demolish the argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, we take prisoner every thought. Like you take it and you put it in jail and make it obedient to Christ. I just want to, I want to talk about strongholds for a bit. If you, uh. If you grew up in and around a certain kind of Christianity, this word stronghold may sound a little uber spiritual and religious to you. And so if that's you, I need you to, to humor me for a bit. And, and then there's another side of this that people are like, man, I just use that word every day. But, but strongholds, Paul, Paul had, a, had a message here. Because strongholds in the ancient world were defensive structures. They were defensive structures. They were either man-made structures, fortresses. They were even points on a cliff, on a high cliff top. Um, But they were almost always fortified, and they were on top of a hill and difficult to access. These were places where the residents of a city or a nation could take refuge in if they needed shelter. In fact, what I like about Psalms chapter 9 is it says that the Lord is a refuge and a stronghold in times of trouble. Strongholds were either used to defend an area, right? If the enemy was advancing, you had the high place on the mountain in the fortified fortress, you could easily push back the enemy. Like in a, in a physical battle, you could push back the enemy. Or if they had been taken by the enemy, they were used to gain control of an area because whoever had the fortress had the city. Think of Joshua chapter six, if you know the story of Joshua and the battle of the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho was an incredibly fortified city. It had these impenetrable walls. And, they had to, and if you got the city, you had, you had control. If you, were, if you had the city, you, you, you could push back the enemy. 
The, the Corinthian people, the church in Corinth, they would have been tracking along with what Paul was saying here because right above on the, in, the, in the city of Corinth, there was an 1,800-foot-high hill, and on top of it, there was a fortress. And again, if you had the fortress, you had the city. If you had control of the fortress, you had the city. But Paul, what he's saying here is he's using it to speak metaphorically that what exists in us are strongholds. There are strongholds in us. These are thought patterns philosophies, reasonings, claims, assertions, anything that sets itself up against the truth of Jesus, against the knowledge of God. That's what he's saying. In your life, strongholds are areas where you have become entrenched, firmly established in believing something that is not true about God or in doing something you shouldn't be, be doing. Let me say that again. There are areas where you have become entrenched in believing something that isn't true or doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And as a result, because of that stronghold, the enemy has a fortified position in your life. I'm not trying to be super spiritual. It's metaphorical, right? That there might be something. And if you look at science, science has done incredible amounts of studies on the brain and how we can actually create um, roadways and pathways through our brain. And if we, if we follow along these pathways, a, a pattern of thought long enough, they become like a superhighway, they become so ingrained in us that it's difficult to break that, that thought pattern. Incredi habits are incredibly difficult to break because they become superhighways in our brain. So what Paul is talking about is he's saying that we have these things that exist in us that are, that are entrenched, that we're entrenched in believing something that isn't true or doing something that, that we shouldn't be doing. And because of that, the enemy has position in our life. Right? He has a, a stronghold. He has a fortress on top of a hill. Right? He has the city. It's a constant pull in the wrong direction. And it could be centered around a hurt, maybe a disappointment. It could be centered around guilt. It could have been formed because of a mistake. Anything that allows the enemy to deceive you and to build up a stronghold brick by brick. So let me just give you some examples. It could be in, in inaccurate ideas about Jesus. It could be incorrect interpretations of the Bible. Distorted perception of how God sees you or feels about you when you sin. Because you don't know the God of the Bible, you know how your father, your earthly father treated you and so you automatically assume that your heavenly father treats you the same. But remember, he's, he's a loving father that chases after the 99, that goes after the bear and the lion. He grabs it by the hair and he strikes it down for you. Even sin, he chases after sin and he strikes it down by going to the cross. That's the, that's the God we serve. Unconfessed sin can be a stronghold. It could be something that you've done years ago, but it's just unconfessed. Pride. Lust. Resentment, substance abuse, addictions, compulsive behavior, occult activity, unforgiveness, hereditary or family behavior, something you've picked up from your upbringing, low self-esteem, I know where your phone is, and more. A stronghold is an area where you become entrenched in believing something that isn't true or doing something you shouldn't be doing. And because of that, the enemy has a fortified position in your life. Just think about what could that be for you? 
These strongholds put a chokehold on your joy, on your growth, on your freedom, on your purpose, on your strength, and they neutralize your effectiveness. Let me, I, I said it this way, you'll, expe- you'll never experience all that God has for you if you're living with strongholds. We want all that God has for us, right? We come to church and we say, I want more. I want more, but we do nothing to fight against the stronghold that exists. Imagine going to a war in the ancient world, and you wanted to take the city, but you neglected the stronghold. You would not take the city. I want all the city has for me, man. I want this, I want this nation. I'm going to go in. I'm going to occupy this territory. Imagine the Israelites in the Old Testament, when they're come, coming into the promised land, God says, you've got to get rid of all the enemies in there. And then you can have peace in this promised land. They're just like, man, I want a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be great. But they do nothing to dismantle the stronghold. That's the equivalent to you saying, I want more of you, Jesus. I want all that you have for me. But then you neglect the stronghold. You neglect the thought pattern. You neglect the the philosophy, the behavior that exists in and around your life that's actually a, a place where the enemy is residing. He's taking position in your life. But I want more, God. Yeah, you got to take that down first. You got you to dismantle the thing that's stopping you from having more. You got to fight. I can declare war. I'm declaring war. I'm going against the stronghold, but I got to fight against it. I got to be actively engaged in the war. Otherwise, it's nothing. We're just doing Sunday church. Now, here's what it took to take down a stronghold in the ancient world. It took strategy, power, and willingness to fight. Right? It took some sort of plan. It took uh, a power or a strength, and it took willingness. Right? Strongholds were, were taken captive by people who were willing to fight. Are you willing to fight? First step, are you willing to fight? Is there fight in you? Yes, there's fight in me. I'm willing to do that. Okay, number two, what about power? We'll come to strategy. What about power? Here's the thing. All the stuff that we've been talking about the last three weeks is I like to believe it's all good stuff. Otherwise, I wouldn't have shared it. It's good stuff. But alone, it's not sufficient. Alone, it's not sufficient. It's just self-help. You try to take back your thought life. You try to change your words. You try to change your behavior and your actions. That's just self-help without God's help. Without, without God's help, without the power of God, your fight does not result in lasting change. That's why so many people are trying to take captive their thoughts and, and trying to change their words and trying to change how they speak and they're trying to change their behavior, but it does not last because you're trying to do it in and of yourself as opposed to actually bringing God into the equation, as opposed to bringing inside the power of God. It doesn't result in lasting change. And that's why people find themselves in these cycles and cycles and cycles of sin or repetitive behavior that they don't like. There is power in declaring war, but fighting with the right power wins the war. I think Paul knew this. Paul, the apostle who wrote the letter to the church in Corinth, he said in Romans, I shared this a few weeks ago, Romans chapter seven, he says, I don't know why I do what I do. I'm paraphrasing. He doesn't say it quite like this. What I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do that. Ah, He doesn't say that. But he's talking about this battle that exists inside him. He's saying, I'm not winning the fight. I can't do this. And then he says this later on in verse 25. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I can't fight this without Jesus. 
I can't do what I want to do without Jesus. I can't stop doing what I don't want to do without Jesus. I can't win this war without Jesus. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus. Thanks be to God. And so I wage war differently. I need a power that doesn't just exist in my own strength. I need something a little bit higher than that. I need something a little bit more. Or do you know what I am? I'm someone who's set up to go into battle, and I'm saddling my horse to fight a tank. I'm ready to fight. I've declared war. I'm in this. And I get all my gear, and I get all my horse, and I square off against a full-blown tank. It's not going to work unless I have a different kind of power. There's a movie called 12 Strong that's set, it's set around um, the days just after 9-11. Al-Qaeda was um, hanging out in the mountains of, of Afghanistan and an unbelievable brave contingent of soldiers in this movie are, are prepared to go to battle against Al-Qaeda. And so what they do is they enter the country and they, they, they team up with a, a local warlord. And the local, local warlord has, has said that they'll get the team within striking distance of Al-Qaeda. The only problem is they don't know if they can trust the warlord because the moment they enter the country, there's like a bounty on their heads. There's like a price on their heads, but they got to do it anyway. But the problem is even more is they can't sneak up in the mountains to Al-Qaeda in traditional vehicles like pickup trucks because they're going to hear them coming. So they saddle on what? Horses. They got on horses. And the most electrifying scene in this movie happens when, the, when these soldiers on their horses are squaring off against Al-Qaeda, and you see these tanks fitted with machine guns, or sorry, pickup trucks fitted with machine guns and full-blown tanks. Now, they would have been doomed, right? That's just logic. A tank and a horse, that's not equal, all right? That's, that's not fighting fire with fire. It doesn't work. But they had a higher power. They had a laser pointer, and they had a satellite phone. And all they needed to do was mark their tar target, make a phone call, and fire would rain from heaven because B-52 bombers were circling up overhead. If they didn't have that high firepower, if they didn't have that higher power, they would not have won the war. But all they had to do was mark their target. That's it. Make a phone call. Without Jesus, we're riding horses to fight a tank without any divine power. So we need the power of God. And do you want to know why? Because if you didn't need the power of God, you wouldn't need God. But you can't do it alone. There's this, there's this saying that's populated among Christian churches that says God doesn't give you more than you can handle. That's not actually in the Bible if you look for it. I like to believe that God gives you more than you can handle because then you have to trust in him. I can't handle this. He's like, you're right. That's why I died on the cross. You need me. You need a loving father. You need something outside yourself. When you look at the sun, why do we need the sun? Like the physical sun? Why do we need something that exists beyond our world to make our world function the way it functions? Because we need something outside of ourselves to exist. And it's the same with God in, in fighting these battles is we need something that exists beyond ourselves if we're going to win the war. So have you, heard the, have you heard the phrase, fight fire with fire? Somebody heard that? Well, I want to say this, that, that in order to win this war, you've got to fight fire by being on fire. You've got to fight fire by being on fire. The Bible says that when we give our life to Jesus truly, that the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, 
is, comes and dwells within us. We're given a deposit of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Bible talks about when it says that God lives in you or Christ lives in you. It's talking about the deposit that's been given to you through the Holy Spirit. It says this in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And it is the Spirit of God who empowers you, who gives you the power to overcome. I like how Romans 8 said it. It said this, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, you're still going to die, Right? Even though we've been set free and we can live eternal, eternally. The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. So the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the, the dead dwells within you. The power of God is living inside of you. You have the laser pointer and satellite phone. You can call and rain down fire from heaven. So we ask the Holy Spirit to fit us with a glove of power. The Holy Spirit is God's answer to our ability to fight this fight. And when you actively engage in your relationship with Jesus, when you actively engage in a relationship with Jesus, the fire in you begins to burn brighter. And Jesus begins to occupy the high ground. He takes the stronghold. He takes the stronghold. I've encountered so many people who are losing the battle. And they say that I'm believing and I'm praying, but they do nothing to actually build the relationship with Jesus. They do nothing to make Jesus Lord of their life. The devil can't burn what's already burning for God. He can't occupy the stronghold when the stronghold is occupied by a higher force. He can't build strongholds. He can't deceive. He can't distort. He can't twist because too much of your head space and too much of your heart space is occupied by the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's if the, if the deposit of the Holy Spirit is in you. There's a whole other level to this. It says in Acts chapter 1, it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So let me just break this down. I want to simplify this for you. Acts chapter 2. Jesus died and he rose again. And he appeared to many disciples. They're like, wow, you're alive. And he's like, yeah, I'm alive. And then he says, wait, here for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go. And so he goes to heaven. He ascends into heaven. And he's gone. And so a contingent of brave, willing soldiers, disciples of Jesus, are waiting in this, in this room called the upper room. And the Bible says that as they were waiting and praying, tongues of fire came down and rested on them. A laser pointer. Isn't that cool? I just thought it was cool. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. And other tongues here, meaning they, they begin to speak in a language not their own. God gave them an ability, a gift. Now, from that point, they had an incredible boldness to share the gospel. An incredible boldness to share, incredible passion to share what God had done. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details, but here's what happened. They didn't have power. They had Jesus, but they didn't have power. Then they did have power. Then they were incredibly passionate, bold, and gifted, and they could actually further the gospel regardless of persecution. And not the kind of persecution that you and I may face where someone's like, you're a Christian, and they make fun of you or, or mock you or, or, or don't like you. Like, like 
like death kind of persecution. But regardless of that kind of persecution, they still had the boldness to further the gospel. And everywhere they went, even though they faced oppression, the gospel spread and more people gave their life to Jesus because they had the power of the Holy Spirit resting in them. Why am I saying this? Because when we lean into the Holy Spirit that is in us, the deposit, and we ask that Holy Spirit to fill us with the power of God, and we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with the power of God, it ignites us. It ignites us to move forward. It ignites us to, to, to move the kingdom of God forward, not only externally, but internally. Not only giving you the power to witness, as Jesus says, but if you have the power to witness, something's burning inside of you. Something's occupied space, right? It's occupied so much space that you want to go externally, that you want to spread the gospel. So many followers of Jesus have come through the cross, but they neglect what God did at Pentecost in Acts chapter two, right? They have salvation, but they're not fueled for service. You may have fight in you, but until you rest on the power of God, you're losing the battle. You're losing the battle. The power of God is the person of the Holy Spirit. And so to fight the strongholds, I ask the Holy Spirit as a believer who already dwells in me to fill me, to fuel me, to give me the power, not only to be a bold witness and to fight externally, but to fight internally. Occupy the stronghold. Occupy the stronghold because when I'm on fire for God, the enemy can't build strongholds. When I'm passionate about Jesus, the enemy can't set up a fortress. He can't twist. He can't distort. He can't deceive. He can't set up inaccuracies. He can't set up wrong interpretations of the Bible because I'm on fire for Jesus. And so when I start to declare war on my thinking and what I say and what I do, I have the Holy Spirit fighting with me. It's no longer just self-help, it's God help. The Bible says, not by my might nor by my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So we ask God for the Holy Spirit. We pray and ask God for the Holy Spirit. And we gotta want it. We gotta want it. God promises, Jesus promised, you know, if you are good, if you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does a good father know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You gotta want it, you, want, you gotta desire it. I imagine that there were some disciples in Acts chapter two that weren't in the upper room, right? I think the ones who, who, were, who, who wanted more of God were in the upper room waiting. But I think there was probably some disciples, some fathers of Jesus that were like, yeah, I want the Holy Spirit, but I'm just gonna get some pizza, I'll be back. I got, some, I got to take care of some things. Yeah, I'm believing and I want more and I'm, I'm praying, but I'm, I'm going to go do some other stuff for a bit because I'm busy. And then there's a contingent. It's like, no, I'm waiting here. I want, I want what Jesus said I could have. I want the Holy Spirit. And you know what's amazing is the ones that, that were waiting received. And not only that is that later on, if you read the story of Acts, the early church, those same disciples that were filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, when they encountered other disciples in, in, in throughout the, their journeys, says that they laid hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. And then those disciples received the Holy Spirit. So there was a power that was existing in them that when they prayed for others, they could be filled with the Holy Spirit as well. So we may, have a, we may have a willingness to fight, but do we have the power of God to fight? I'm willing to fight. I, I'm willing to fight. I want to live for Jesus, but do we have the power of God to live for Jesus? Finally, we need strategy. I want to give you a really practical strategy for overcoming strongholds. But before that, if you don't have the power, 
pointless. So you need to ask, you need to pause and say, Jesus, I want you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're in me because the deposit's been given to me as the scripture says in Ephesians chapter one. So fill me, empower me to not only be a bold witness, but fill me and empower me with more of you so I can fight this fight that rages in me and around me. You ask for the Holy Spirit. Can I just say, when I was a kid, I was, I was, I was taught this. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I, I did. This is, this is my life. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and I remember praying countlessly for this. I wanted, I remember praying. My mom actually prayed for me and some friends in our home. Like, we, like, stopped. We were, like, 13 years old, I think, and we were, we were praying for the Holy Spirit. It never happened. Do you want to know when I was filled with the Holy Spirit? I was praying for somebody else. It was somebody else at a, a youth convention, believe it or not, like Overflow. We send students to Overflow in May. It was way back before it was called Overflow. I was at an altar, and I laid my hands on someone, and we, we were praying. I don't even know what we were praying for, but I was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know how I knew? Because I began to spoke in other tongues. You know, and Pentecostal churches sometimes get a bad rap when we talk about tongues because it's a little bit freaky to some people, a little bit weird. Can I just say this, that if I'm really upset and sad, how do you know that? You might know I'm upset and sad, but you're gonna know very clearly by the tears that are coming down my eyes. Right? Tears are like the clearest evidence that I'm sad. Something's wrong with Pastor Collie. He's crying. Something's up. You know. You know when someone's been filled with the Spirit because the clearest evidence is tongues. I don't want to say it's the only evidence. I don't really want to say it's the initial evidence, but it's the clearest evidence. So ask for the Holy Spirit, fill me. So I was a kid and I was praying over someone. That's how I knew. And I was like, oh my goodness, I don't even know what I'm saying right now. The Spirit of God did. And I believed in it. Do we have a willingness to fight? Do we have the Holy Spirit? Our strategy is we need to ask for the Holy Spirit. We're gonna pray. I'm gonna pray at the end for that. We're gonna, we're gonna have a moment. It's not gonna be crazy. It's not gonna be, we're just gonna pray and ask for what the Bible describes. But let me give you a strategy for overcoming strongholds, right? Number one, and you might wanna write these down because if, I'm gonna look for the keeners. These are the keeners are the ones that are writing it down. Number one is you gotta spot them. You gotta spot the stronghold. You gotta ask God to open your eyes to the hidden sin that is in and around your life, to the wrong patterns of thinking, to the oppression. God, help me to see the strongholds that exist inside of me. Help me to see the sin. Help me see the hidden sin. Help me to identify it. Help me to, to acknowledge it. Help me to see it. And then you gotta acknowledge it as wrong. And you might be surprised the things he shares with you. Hey, you know that thing you're doing with that person? That's wrong. All of a sudden, you'll feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Or you know that, that thing you're watching? 2 a.m.? It's not good. You know that speech you're doing at work? It's not right. Help me to see the hidden sin. Help me to see the wrong thinking. Help me to see the wrong pattern. Help me see the oppression that exists in me. Help me to spot it. Number one, I gotta spot it. It's how I overcome a stronghold. I can't take the high ground if I don't know where the high ground is. Can't take, like if I was in a physical battle, I can't take the fortress if I don't know where the fortress is. Just logic. Okay, I gotta spot the stronghold. Number two is I gotta renounce it. So I gotta renounce the, the thinking or behavior and I gotta set my soul against it. The Bible calls this repentance. I can see it. Now I'm acknowledging that it's wrong, that it's sinful, and I'm turning my back against it, I'm going the other way. That's called repentance, right? 
Repenting is doing that 180 turn. This is the wrong way. I'm no longer going to walk the wrong way. I'm going to walk the right way. So I renounce it. That is wrong thinking. Even though you may still think that, that is wrong thinking. That's a wrong behavior. I'm setting my soul against that. I'm no longer going to do it. It's very practical. Spot it, renounce it. Number three is laser it. This is the, this is the Holy Spirit component. This is where you ask the Holy Spirit to give you the power to overcome. Because I can spot it. I can determine that it's wrong and I can set my soul against it, but I may not be strong enough to overcome it. And so I ask the Holy Spirit to give me the power to overcome. That's the prayer component. I've seen it. I've, I've prayed that I could see it. I see it. Now I renounce it. I, re I repent of it. And I turn the other way and I ask the Holy Spirit to give me strength as I do so. And the number four is I confess it. Renouncing it is, is confession to God. Confessing it here is confessing it to somebody else. The Bible says in James, um, says, therefore confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other that you would be healed. You bring somebody else into the equation because you're less likely to do something or think something when somebody else knows about it. So you bring a friend in or you bring, bring a life group into the equation and say, hey, I've been struggling with this or I've been facing off this or I've been doing this or this is something that I've been engaged in or this is a thinking that I've been, that I've been thinking. I just need you to know. Will you pray with me? You bring somebody else in the equation. Number one should be your spouse if you're married. But bring a friend in. Sometimes it's easy to, like, depending on if you've got a healthy relationship with your spouse, it's easy to tell your spouse. Maybe your spouse isn't in that place. You've got to find a friend. I've got to bring a friend in. All right, maybe your spouse isn't serving Jesus. It's difficult to talk to them about the sin that's in your life if they're not serving Jesus. Bring a friend in. If you've been sinning against your spouse, you've got to bring your spouse into the equation. It's going to be incredibly difficult and hard, but it's going to set up your future so much better. So I confess it. Number five is I replace it. And this is a, this is a step people often neglect or forget is I got to diligently build something in place of that sin, behavior, or thought pattern so that it can't be built again. So if I have the wrong thinking, I need to replace it with the right thinking. Okay, this is the wrong thought about Jesus. What is the right thought? Right? This is the wrong behavior. What is the right behavior? Because if I don't do that, what's going to happen is I may turn my back on it, but what's going to happen is I'm just going to come back to it and it's going to be even harder and difficult to overcome. If I don't replace it. That's what, when, when Paul says to take captive every thought, it's okay, that is wrong. And here's the truth. I replace the thought. I replace the thought. I replace it. And then number six is I share it. This is different than confession. This is when you've come to the end of it. This is you share you, what God has done. We do this in baptism sometime, right? We talk about people's God stories and just how God has led them to this place, but we share what God has done. We share the victory because the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, it says they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb, right? By what Jesus did on the cross, but also by the word of their testimony because there is a level to which we push back the enemy, when we share about what God's doing in our life. So you know what, I need somebody to share right now. Somebody shout out to me, this is different, maybe we don't do this, somebody shout out to me something that God's done in your life, maybe how he set you free, maybe how he's given you victory, you know, just what well, could be a one word, could be a phrase, could be a sentence, just shout it out, what has God done in your life? Mental health, come on, amen. Sobriety, amen. Come on, let's share the victory. Healing, amen. Provided, yeah, it's good. 
forgiveness. Yeah, yes. Deliverance. Anybody else? What we're doing right now is we're dismantling the power of the enemy. Somebody else here needs forgiveness. Somebody else is dealing with, with alcohol abuse. Somebody else needs healing. But we've just seen it that somebody else has been given sobriety. Someone else has deliverance. Someone else has healing. Someone else has forgiveness. Someone else overcame the battle with mental health. Because we can see it in someone else, all of a sudden there's something in us that rises up and says, I can do this too. Somebody else, come on. Peace. Set free. Toxic behavior. Wow. Anybody else? Unbelief. Unlimited blessings. Church, we share it. We share what God has done. We spot it. God, help me see what it is. Renounce it. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to overcome it. Confess it to somebody else. I bring somebody else into the equation, right? I replace it. And then I share the victory. Share the victory. And that is how we overcome the battle. We can declare war all we want. We win the war with the right power. I want you to stand to your feet. Um, just as you stand to your feet, just I'm gonna ask in a moment that you bow your heads and close your eyes and nobody looking around, but I just wanna show you, a, I like to explain things because I think sometimes in churches, people get a little confused by certain things. They don't understand what people mean. So when, I, when, I, when we say, hey, lift your hands up, I'm either, you know, I got my one hand with a mic here, but... I'm either saying this, this is lift your hands up or this is lift your hands up. And this is a posture of, of worship, right? Think of uh, like my little baby girl this morning, she, she's sick. Little, I mean, she's 16 months, she's sick right now, but she came crawling up to me and, and lifted up her hands. It was like, daddy, pick me up, I need you. And it, was, it just melted my heart. That's kind of like what we do with God. We're, we lift up our hands and we say, I need you. It's also a sign of surrender, right? Someone points a gun at you surrender. So that's what it is. It's a posture of worship. And so I'm going to ask if you could bow your heads and you either take on this posture or this posture in a moment. If you're here today, bow your heads, close your eyes, nobody looking around. If you're here today and you're like, do you know what? I want, I want the Holy Spirit in me. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want that power. I want what Jesus talked about when he says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I believe in Jesus. I have a deposit of the Spirit in me. God is in me, but I want that power. If that's you today, I just want you to take that posture of worship. Just lift up your hands and just begin to ask Jesus to fill you with that Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me. If that's you, just, just lift up your hands. We're not gonna manipulate the Holy Spirit. We're not gonna make him do anything. We're not gonna force him to do anything. But if the Bible says that to be true, we're just gonna believe that it can happen. Holy Spirit, fill me. Now, if you're also here and you have the Holy Spirit, but you know that that power can leak and you're like, I need a refilling of the Holy Spirit. If you're here today, just raise your hands. Maybe your hands are already raised. Say, Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me again. I need you to power me one more time. 
I need, I need that gifting, I need that boldness, I need that ability. Give, give me you, give me all of you. Just lift up your hands today. Holy Spirit, fill me. And then finally, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, let's just help the room. Lift up your hands and just ask for the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, all over this place, would you begin to work? You see every hand. You see the desire and the willingness and the, and the want, God, in the heart. And I just pray that you would fill. Come on, let's just begin to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. Holy Spirit, fill us. As you filled that room in Acts chapter two, as they waited on you in prayer, we just wait on you and ask that you would fill us right now. Holy Spirit, fill us. Holy Spirit, fill us. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.